If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Before we jump into today's topic, I have heard from a lot of nonprofit executives who are feeling overwhelmed right now. If that is where you find yourself, first of all, you're not alone. There's a lot going on. There's a pandemic in the land. There's a recession. You undoubtedly have friends, family, colleagues, or board members who are heavily impacted by everything that's going on. And then we add on to that kind of a difficult election season. I I don't know about you, but every time I watch the news, I get angry or sad. There's almost never a happy for me when I watch the news. So if you find yourself right now in this place where you are feeling overwhelmed, check out my four-part blog series that will help you better manage your time, your energy, and your relationships. Additionally, I'm going to be hosting a free webinar on October 14th on the exact same topic. You can find out more about it at SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash make time. And I will also say a bit more about this webinar at the end of our episode. Now, let's get ready to talk to an amazing person, and that is Tanya Tassi with Centerlink and the ActionLink program. As staff and board members at nonprofits, it is incumbent on us to advocate for our organizations and their mission. We do this in so many ways. Sometimes it's informal conversations with family members and friends. Maybe it's reaching out to potential donors or discussions with lawmakers or educating our constituents about public policy proposals that will affect them. Because I am unabashedly progressive on this podcast, and if you have heard even half an episode, you already know that, I feel certain that your organization is helping to tackle issues that are essential to a more just and a fairer world. We're talking about issues like immigration, income inequality, racism, civil rights, gender equity, protecting the environment, access to reproductive health, LGBTQ rights, and more. 
The sad truth, though, is that far too many nonprofit executives and their boards believe that engaging in any advocacy at all jeopardizes their nonprofit status. And I find this so sad because failing to engage in issue advocacy means that our voices and the voices of our community, and let me be clear, those are unique voices, are not shaping policies that will impact our constituents and our mission. And what's more, on the other side, the really conservatives, they are mobilizing. They are finding ways that their nonprofits can engage in advocacy. So today, I am so pleased to welcome Tanya Tassi to the show. Tanya began her nonprofit work at the age of 17 when she volunteered at the Wisconsin AIDS Resource Center. She went on to volunteer, work with, and even found a number of LGBTQ organizations with a particular focus on the needs of elderly LGBTQ community members. Today, in addition to her volunteer work and working toward a graduate degree, she works with Centerlink, It is an organization that is near and dear to my heart. And one of the reasons, and I often say this, I credit Centerlink with having saved my career about 20 years ago when I was a first-time chief executive. There's so much that Centerlink does for executive directors and leaders of LGBTQ community centers. So you've already figured this out because you've heard me talk about them before. Centerlink is a coalition that works to develop strong, sustainable LGBTQ community centers. And Tanya within Centerlink is the driving force behind their advocacy program, which is called ActionLink. Through this program, she helps LGBTQ nonprofits safely and effectively advocate for their missions. And I also have to say, as I sat back and tried to think, I would be willing to bet that Tanya is coordinating a group of probably a hundred or hundreds of LGBTQ organizations as they mobilize around advocacy. And I would be willing to bet that there are few other individuals or groups in the country that have such large advocacy efforts that are aimed at working through community-based organizations. I think PFLAG might be up there. Planned Parenthood might be up there. I don't know about a lot of others. So Tanya is a best-in-class advocate. And we are so excited and so happy to have her here. So join me in welcoming Tanya to the podcast as we talk about how our organizations can be effective advocates. Tanya, that was a long intro, but it's because I think so much of you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Now, can you share with us what does advocacy mean for nonprofits? For me, I think advocacy is the number one way nonprofits can create lasting, positive, systemic change in their communities, and even on a national level. So what does that mean? It means that advocacy is a way for nonprofits to, first of all, have their mission heard, to advance policies and programs within their mission and their organization, And to really make change, whether it's locally, whether it's at a state level, a national level, change as far as what does your mission want? What does your, your, what do your clients want and your 
donors and your volunteers. A nonprofit is really the voice for all of those people. So it's really important for them to advocate for what they want and what the community needs. Now, I know that you specifically are helping to coordinate LGBTQ centers and other LGBTQ organizations around the country. So the first thing that you said in this is it helps nonprofits elevate and advocate for their mission. Can you give us an example of a way that ActionLink has done that? Sure. I think one of the biggest things that we work on is the Equality Act, is non-discrimination protections for LGBT people nationwide. I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar that right now in 28 states, there are no comprehensive non-discrimination protections. Now, of course, we just had the Supreme Court ruling regarding employment. So that was a big win for us, but there's so much work to be done. And I always say you could drive from Maine to California and your rights as an LGBT person could change up to 15 to 20 times. So it's something that we advocate for. Last year, the Equality Act did pass the House on a vote. Our LGBT community centers were a big part of that, whether it was reaching out to their senators in their state, it was educating their local lawmakers And it was educating the general public about the importance of the Equality Act and what it would mean for our community. And to hear the committee on the House floor mention several LGBT centers during their hearing was really, uh, for me, it's just showing how important our work was. I remember breaking down into tears several times, being so proud of our community centers. So that's a great example of how the work that we're doing and nonprofits are doing has really has made a difference. And so you said educate constituents, educate lawmakers, and educate the community. What does the education of constituents look like when you're doing advocacy work? I think it could be anything from talking one-on-one to people. I myself do that when I send out an, an email or a newsletter and someone responds to me saying, I don't agree with this or why are you saying this? I will take the time to respond to every single one of those types of emails to try to educate people. I think it's one-on-one conversations. It's a general conversation. It's tying that into your mission. How is this policy going to help our mission, therefore helping our community? So it's encouraging your people to vote, to take the census. All of those are pieces of advocacy and education that all tie in together. So what do you say to the executive director who goes, oh, Tanya, I agree, this is really important, but our organization is not allowed to engage in advocacy work. What do you say? I say that is incorrect. And a lot of organizations will say, we don't do advocacy work. We're a nonprofit. We don't do that. And I always say, but by being a nonprofit and serving the community you serve, you are doing advocacy work just by default, just by being who you are. Going back to the example of the LGBT community, if you're an LGBT community center, you are advocating. You're advocating for the LGBT people in your community. You're advocating for policies that will help those people. You're advocating for finding employment for those people, finding housing for those people. Those are services that most orgs provide on a daily basis. So they really are doing advocacy work. All right. So, Tanya, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. I'm so sorry because I know you well and you're probably not going to be happy that I'm about to throw this curveball, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so one of the things, I don't know if you know about me, once upon a time, long ago and far away, I was a social worker. And one of the things they taught us in social work school is that role play is really valuable because it helps us hone and it helps other people around us understand 
those people that are watching and listening to the role play. So I would love for you and I to role play a scenario where I'm an executive director who misunderstands okay. advocacy. All right. So let's just pretend like I got, I got your most recent action alert and there's something in there about writing a letter or signing off on letters to the Department of Homeland Security around an LGBTQ issue. And there's something in there about the census and there's something in there about get out the vote. All right. Okay. So, and you know, you can use my name, Dolph. We'll just pretend that, you know, I'm an executive director who does not understand advocacy. Okay. So Tanya, I just got your most recent email about the vote and the census and that uh, Homeland Security issue. Mm-hmm. So I I have to say, I I was a little surprised. I mean, we're not a C6 and I could see our, our local equality organization doing that or a statewide equality organization. But, you know, we're a, we're a 501c3. We, we don't really do advocacy. Well, you can do advocacy, especially that kind of advocacy. Uh, you cannot support a specific candidate. However, you can support a specific law. Now, you can't support a specific person, but you can say things like, vote for that for, for the person who believes in equality, for example. And it's really important that you do that kind of work. Even if you feel like it's something you haven't done in the past, that's what we're here for, to show you how to do that, to provide you templates and talking points and graphics and whatever else you need for you to feel comfortable doing that type of work. Whoa, 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 hold on there, Tanya. So you mean to say that we can actually say, vote for the candidate that supports equality? You can absolutely say that as long as you're not listing a candidate by name. Wow, that that is pretty cool. But this Department of Homeland Security issue, like if we're asking people to sign off on that and we're asking people to write the Department of Homeland Security or their public comment, isn't that kind of engaging in some political advocacy? I mean, everybody knows we, everybody knows who's behind that at Homeland Security. Well, it is engaging in political advocacy, but again, you can do that as a 501c3, and you absolutely should be doing that. And again, it just comes down to being careful how you say it, being careful not to promote any certain person, um, but you can 100% advocate for laws or suggestions or proposals that are going to benefit your nonprofit. Wow. So you mean as long as I don't say the orange menace's name, I can get people <laughs> to sign on for le- sign on to support legislation that he would hate? Absolutely. And we we do that by saying the administration instead of saying the orange menace. Oh, oh, the administration. I can I say the can I say the orange administration or do I just have to say the administration? <laughs> no, you just have to say the administration. Darn, darn, darn. Okay, well. Even though I'd rather say the Orange administration, I want to stay on the right side of the law. I don't want to lose our 501c3 status, so I'm going to say the administration. Now, talk to me about this get out the vote. So, like, what can we as a nonprofit legally do to get out the vote? Oh, there is so much that you can do to get out the vote. One of the biggest things you can do is conduct and promote voter registration drives. That's always a huge thing. You can educate your community on how the voting process works. So you can talk about registration. You can talk about early voting. You can talk about where to cast your ballot or where to go if you need to change an address or do a mail-in vote. You can definitely continue advocacy work during an election year. In fact, I think it's more important than ever during election years to do the advocacy, to bring your organization front and center. 
And you can make your community aware of ballot measures and how they affect your organization. Again, don't promote any anyone specific, but you can certainly say this is a ballot measure and this is how it will affect us. You can speak about barriers to the democratic process and how that harms your organization and how that harms your community. And you can engage your community and lawmakers in conversations about services you provide, about laws that you're supporting or not supporting, and then always encourage your community and your staff and your clients and your donors to register to vote and then vote for lawmakers who support the things that your organization stands for. So when you talk about barriers to the democratic process that we can speak out against, what are you talking about? I'm talking about things like voter suppression, mail-in voting for against it. You can certainly say something like, this is why mail-in voting is has been successful in the past, or this is why you need to register to vote because of things like voter suppression and because of this community is often suppressed. So let's target that community, put the word out, help them to get registered and do as much as we possibly can. Tanya, if I'm a betting person, this episode is probably going to come out end of September, beginning of October. Listeners were recording it in early August. So maybe only about a month before the election. So if there is a nonprofit executive listening whose organization has not done anything around get out the vote or issue advocacy leading up to the election, what can they do in that last month to really make a difference? I think the biggest thing they can do is to tie their mission to the election, to help voters understand the connection between voting and the services that they're offering. I think that's the biggest thing. They can also continue to educate on ballot measures. That That's always going to be a great thing, whether or not you've passed the voter registration time. It's just important to educate people. This is what's happening in our area, in our state. And again, vote for people who support equality. And also, I mean, I kind of feel like if as an organization you're supporting a ballot measure that's a progressive ballot measure, anyone who says, okay, I was not going to vote, go out to vote, but now I'm going to so I can vote for that ballot measure or vote against that ballot measure is then also going to be casting other votes in the election. So it's probably a good way to drive the vote. Is that what you're saying? Definitely. It's definitely a good way to drive the vote. Nonprofits can always talk about the ballot measures and they can even invite lawmakers to come and speak about the ballot measures because of the pandemic. A lot of that's happening online via Facebook Live and things like that. And as long as you're inviting people from both sides, you you can do that. You can invite them and say, we'd like you to talk about this ballot measure and, and how it's going to affect the state or the community. And as long as you are being fair and inviting both sides, you're absolutely able to do that. So I am so sorry. I have to ask you this question. Let's say, and by the way, this has happened to me, like when I was at the community center in Philly. Let's say you invite both sides, but one side decides not to show up. Mm-hmm. But you did your due diligence by okay. inviting both sides. Good. Yeah. So I did the right thing when I was in <laughs> Philly. Good. You absolutely did. Because <laughs> that's always what I said. I was like, we're going to invite both sides. If one side doesn't want to show up, eh, okay, they didn't show up. You know, obviously no organizations are having galas this fall or big in-person events this fall. But I always made a point of inviting politicians to buy tables. And I'd, I'd invite both sides to buy tables. And, you know, 
you could totally tell who your organization's friends were based on who bought tables and who didn't. But I would invite every single candidate in a race to buy a table. That's actually a really excellent tip. Yeah. Well, you know, part of what I loved about it was obviously it raised some money for us as an organization, but it also really helped show which politicians cared about us. The ones who were like, yeah, you're important enough as, an, as a community that we're going we're gonna to support you and we're going to be there physically and with our pocketbooks. That, that said something. Right. It really does. So we've talked about really promoting ballot measures and ballot initiatives. I do have to ask you, how much interpretation can nonprofits do on ballot measures and initiatives? The reason I ask this is at least in the states that I have lived in, whenever I see a ballot measure, it's always worded in such a way that you think, well, of course, why wouldn't I vote for that? And then you read the fine print and you're like, oh, oh, that doesn't really save puppies. That drowns puppies in the river, but it's called the save the puppies ballot measure. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, that's funny. I think the most important thing is, again, tying it to your mission. So, saying this is how this ballot measure is going to affect our mission uh, without saying it's good or bad. You can, if you're saying that and you're saying it's going to affect our mission by potentially taking away funding that we rely on every year, then I think most people are going to tie that to, oh, this is a bad thing. Now, definitely you shouldn't be giving candidates or ballot measures letter grades or ratings or anything like that. And you can't, increase the amount or volume of criticism among officials, especially if they're running for re-election. An election year is not the time to start, you know, increasing criticism. But again, just tying it to your mission and saying, well, this is how it's going to affect us. People are going to know from that description, this is probably not a good ballot measure, or this is a great ballot measure for our community. Right. Now, this might be an unusual year for doing this because of COVID, but I know a lot of nonprofits, in addition to having get out the vote, i.e. register to vote, they also have a get to the polls campaign. Are there any unique and interesting things you're seeing community centers plan around the country? Because a lot of it's going to be voting by mail. So are there any unique and interesting things that community centers are doing? Yeah, well, voter registration, National Voter Registration Day for nonprofits is always the last Tuesday in September, I believe. So we have right now almost 60 LGBT community centers signed up to participate that day. And that's just a day when we really blitz social media, all the social media channels about it, this is how you get registered in your state and if this is how to do it. And if you're trans, this is how you can get your identity to match your voter ballot and things like that. So um, they're getting really creative about, you know, normally they would have in-person events. They'd have, uh, usually they bring in food and even sometimes music and have an in-person event at the center with a lot of posters and stickers. So this year, I noticed a lot of Facebook Live campaigns um, or Instagram Live where, where they're going live to talk about the complications of getting registered to vote, or this is what you should do. A lot of people I notice are even going over the ballots. They're actually showing the ballot on a, on a Facebook live chat or on a chat and saying, here's the ballot. Here's how you fill it out. Because some people don't even, they don't know, especially first time voters. So just going through and showing people that I think, yeah, just really getting creative, again, inviting the candidates to join these live sessions and, and talk to the constituents about what they stand for and about the issues and just putting it out there in social media. Social media has been really a lifesaver as far as the elections go and getting the word out because it has been a lot more difficult this year. Yeah. I Real quick, I have to say, I love that 
some organizations and some nonprofits are showing people how to complete and mail in their absentee ballot. You know, I don't think of myself as an ignorant person. I have a graduate degree. I got really good grades in school. I've been, you know, relatively successful in my life. And I will share with you the first time I did a mail-in ballot, I thought I was so slick. I did everything. I got my ballot in there. And then I see the areas where I'm supposed to sign. And I signed the envelope. And then I realized that I have signed the area that says I've assisted this voter in completing their ballot. And I'm like, oh, I destroyed my ballot. I destroyed my ballot. So that is actually a really good idea because even those of us that, you know, probably could read the directions, maybe we don't. Yeah, they're pretty complicated in some states. And even going to the in-person voting, I mean, like, for example, here in L.A. County, they've got new computers. And so one of the things the L.A. Center did was they got in the actual units, the voting units that are going to be used, and they did a mock vote. And it was a vote on what color should we use this year for this year's senior prom or something? And so it was just teaching people, this is how you use the computers because they're new this year and and they are a little bit scary if you're not used to it. So things like that, I thought that was really creative, but things like that are happening a lot. That's a great idea. I love that, especially for people who've voted one way for 20 or 30 or 40 years to suddenly have new technology. That could be tough. Mm -hmm. I, I really love that. Now, let me ask you, is it okay for a nonprofit to have an election night watch party? It is absolutely okay. Again, you can't support either candidate, but you can certainly celebrate when your candidate wins. <laughs> uh, you, you can certainly celebrate, right? Because you're voting for the ones that, that align with your mission. So absolutely, you can hold a, a watch night party. Tanya, I like the way you think. You can celebrate when your candidate wins. And I think you can celebrate when your candidate wins by landslide. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Now, after the election, because I know one of the things that you said is, especially leading up to the election, it's, it's probably not a great idea to engage in significantly more issue advocacy that maybe paints one particular issue or candidate in a bad light. So after the election, if a nonprofit were to think about just two or three things they should be doing going forward to engage in issue advocacy, what are those things? I think the first thing is find a coalition or a a group that is aligned with your mission and participate in their calls or their Zoom sessions, whether it's weekly or monthly Uh, We belong to several national coalitions, and I cannot tell you how helpful it is, first of all, to bounce ideas off of other people. Second of all, you have a lot of experts on the the topic at hand to really help you navigate through some of the weeds, the the political weeds of of the phrasing and everything that comes out. I mean, it's pages and pages oftentimes, a, a policy. So find a good coalition. I would say that would be my number one thing. Number two is, again, always remember what your mission is and what aligns with your mission and make sure that you're being an advocate for your community and the people you serve. I think that's the second most important thing. And the third thing is just continue the advocacy throughout the year. Even if you get someone in office that is, say, LGBT friendly in this case, there's so much work to be done. There's always going to be work to be done. And I think 
any nonprofit would say the same thing. It's a never ending cycle of work. So just continue that advocacy, continue to keep your people engaged, whether it's through a little blurb in your newsletter every month or a social media post once a week about advocacy, but just continue the thread so that clients in your community know that you are still speaking up for them, even when it's a non-election year or just a regular month. I love that. There's just one piece I wanted to bounce off of you. So I know you talked about finding that coalition, whether it's a regional, state, or national coalition that you can be a part of that will help you fine-tune your advocacy work. So my question around that, and I've only recently in the last five or six years when I've done interims, interim executive director engagement, started to ask this question of coalitions, which is I will sometimes ask, well, who is funding this coalition? And there have been a handful of times, one or two, where when, I really, when I'm told who funds the coalition, I think, well, we might agree with you and we're going to align with you on this issue, but we're not going to join because we don't want to have to be with you on every issue. Right. And I think that's important, too. And that is the case for us as well. There are times when we say we support you, but because of our status as a 501c3, we can't come out and say that. But what I will do is I will take some of the talking points they've given us and um, the information and tailor it so that it is fitting our mission and our organization. And most of the time, coalitions are fine with that. I think they understand we're not always going to align on everything. So yeah, you, you do have to definitely be discerning about what you're going to take away from that that coalition. Right. Now, Tanya, you are currently engaged in the rough and tumble world of advocacy, which is really the rough and tumble world of politics. But for the off the map question, I understand that before you got into this line of work, you were in the rough and very tumble world of roller derby. <laughs> that is correct. I was Glitz and Vixen number 623 for many years. <laughs> so tell us some more. Oh, well, I've always liked roller skating on quads, not so much inline. And so um, back when I was still living in Wisconsin, I started on a roller derby team and continued that when I moved to California. And then I got a little older and didn't care to take all the falls and the spills anymore because it is a very dangerous sport and did um, refereeing for several years. And so now I'm retired, but I do still enjoy watching it. And I will still go sing the national anthem, actually, for the L.A. Derby Dolls on occasion. Obviously, they're not playing right now because of COVID-19, but in the past I've played. And, and once in a while, I'll go and skate with them. They have recreational workouts, so I'll, I'll go and do that. But, you know, the older you get, the less you want to be falling on your knees and hitting your head and smashing into people. I rarely ask follow-up questions on the off-the-map question, but I'm going to have to ask you a follow-up question. And it's actually a serious question, even though it may not sound like it. What did roller derby teach you about life? It taught me that sometimes you have to work really, really hard for something that you want. Because I was not the fastest skater. And in order to play, you had to do a certain amount of laps around the track in a certain amount of time. And I failed many times and thought, I just can't do this. Uh, anymore. Um, but I really, really wanted it. So I kept going and and I'm glad I did. And, and that has carried me through many things, including school. There were so many times I wanted to drop out, but I said, no, I really, really want this. And you got to go through that, that pain to get what you want. So I try to carry that lesson with me. I had a feeling you got a good life lesson out of roller derby and you really did. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Tanya, thank you so much for joining us. I am grateful you've joined us today. And listeners, if you would like to learn more about the amazing work of Centerlink, and again, I have said this before, Centerlink saved my career. I adore Centerlink. I think it's one of the most effective organizations serving LGBTQ nonprofits anywhere in the country. But if you want to learn more about their amazing work, check out their website, lgbtcenters.org. You can also learn more about the specific work of ActionLink, which is their advocacy network, at the website lgbtactionlink.org. At this website, you can get the latest information on LGBTQ policy and learn how you can take action to help make change. These websites, by the way, also have a ton of useful resources, not just advocacy, but on topics such as the 2020 census and upcoming elections. And finally, if you are interested in really voting for equality and finding how you can get out the vote, then check out their Vote for Equality videos at lgbtactionlink.org forward slash vote. Tanya, Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Dear listeners, if you did not write down any of those URLs because you were tearing apart your closet, looking for your quad skates so you can try out for the middle-aged roller derby team in your town, hey, you keep on ripping apart your closet. Because at any point that you want to, you can go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and check out the show notes and you will see all of the links for Centerlink, the Action Network, and the videos for voting for equality. Now, while you're there, please just take a minute and click the listener survey. It'll take you about four or five minutes to complete and you will give Lexi and I some feedback so that we can have more guests that you really want to hear from and so we can talk about more topics that you really want to learn more about. So please, make sure you go and take that survey. Now, earlier this year, we celebrated four years of hosting the Successful Nonprofits podcast. I have to share with you, when I launched this podcast in July of 2016, I remember being so excited when I had a few hundred downloads that first month. Well, I'm at the point now, the podcast is at the point now, that we get between 8,000 and 9,000 downloads a month. But here's what I'm really clear about. It's not just because of the podcast or the guests we have on. It's listeners like you who subscribe and rate and review and tell your friends and share it on social media. I am really clear that there is no way we would have reached our download milestone of eight to 9,000 a month without you, dear listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I did want to express gratitude to one specific listener who has reviewed us on iTunes. And the listener's iTunes handle is EMP6384. And here was his review. Dolph covers a range of topics that help you better understand the industry and apply some solid practices and principles to your organization. Whether philanthropist, volunteer, nonprofit employee, or executive board member, or even constituent, the insights, interviewers, and conversations shared in the podcast will be beneficial. EMP6384, I wish I could thank you by name, but I'll thank you by that. I am so grateful for that review. Thank you. And finally, listeners, I know I'm stretching out the outro here, but finally, 
This is, as I started in the beginning, a stressful and overwhelming time. There are things that you can do to take care of yourself. And in my coaching work, I often help nonprofit executives stop feeling overwhelmed. Leadership does not mean that you have to be overwhelmed. And in fact, I have been helping executives with that. And I've recently created a four-part blog series by that same name and will be hosting a webinar on October 14th. You can get more information on the webinar at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Now, listeners, that is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.